0: podcast
1: This is John Peterson author of Playing at the World and you are listening to Save or Die you-
2: Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic
0: Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin hoes, and band of oats, hoping zombies and bows and on troll, don't slow me
1: down, oh, no. Vicious, I'm vicious, I'm... Aloha, everybody. Welcome to Save or Die number one twenty-eight. With you, as usual, is the goblin who screams briark to the ogre, DM Mike. <laughs> and, and I am joined this time by the mad hermit and her panther, DM Liz. Hello, hello. And also is the cleric who secretly is an evil cultist, DM Jim.
0: I just healed oh. you guys. Could you, like, stay healed for ten whole minutes?
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, should I? Oh, well. <laughs> My outer voice again. And we are joined by a special guest, the Castellan of the Keep himself, Bill Barsh of Pace
3: Setter Games. Hello, hey. and roll for initiative. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, wrong show.
1: <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the Pace Setter Games, its past, its current product, and other nifty things we can think of. But first... Get
0: down, get down, get down, get down. The
1: The Save save or
0: Die die. Email Hot Hot Tub tub Time time Machine. Come here, you
1: scrumptious little beauty.
0: Here I go once again with the email. Every week I'll get it from a female. Oh, man! (sighs)
1: Ah, we probably don't have any emails, do we?
2: Au <laughs> <laughs> contraire, we have some very special emails this time
1: around. Oh, see you faked me out. I, at the last one there was none, so this this'll teach <laughs> this
0: will teach us to pop off in an episode. Hey, we hope this episode generates emails.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it will, I'm here. <laughs> Lucky Bill.
2: <laughs> Lucky Duck. so yes, we have some awesome
3: emails.
0: By the time Liz gets to the end of reading this first email, Bill, you'll have time to write one if you want to jump in.
3: I was just going to see if you need one, maybe I'll start typing, right?
2: (laughs) All righty. Well, our first email is from Tim Kask himself. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim is writing about our episode with John Peterson, and he says... In answer to your pleas for email, I offer the following in respect to the latest podcast about saving throws with John Peterson. John, you used a word that is very <laughs> anachronistic when referencing leveling up, and I think the nuance is worth investigating. You use the term power level in referencing player characters leveling up. We, OS players did not feel that we were increasing in power. We felt very strongly that we were increasing in skill levels. I believe the subtle differences in the implications of the two words are very telling in regards to old-school gaming philosophy. We were getting better at being adventurers, not becoming power-hungry megalomaniacs.
0: That came later. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Another heresy was uttered during the cast, this time, I believe, by DM Liz.
0: Oh, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. Tim Kassi, did you.
2: Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, the conversation was revolving around the increasing complexity of the rules of D&D and how they morphed into the constrictions of AD&D. Believe me when I tell you, as a card-carrying grog of over 50 years, that it was not us old-time gamers that wanted more charts and tables and stats and crap. Good grief, we could spend an entire day playing a miniatures game with three charts. We could play a monster board game with no charts other than a CRT, Combat Results Table. In the For What It Is Worth department, my players have always, since 74... Rolled their own dice for hits and saves. My philosophy has always been that I cannot be blamed for your crappy rolling skills. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> I, have, yeah, I have fudged die rolls too many times to count. Never once have I fudged one against a PC's best interests. There have been dumbasses at my tables at cons that certainly merited a random boulder, but I never did. I actually judge them a lot or I actually fudge them a lot at cons, despite my TPK legendry. For the first hour or so I will fudge, so the folks that signed up to play get something for their interest. After a couple of hours, all fudges are off. The sound of the dice has always been the DM's greatest psych weapon. Party dithering a bit? Roll a few menacing dice just for grins and giggles, and they usually get moving right along smartly. Tim Kask.
1: Thanks, Tim. As far as I can't answer for John Peterson, um, I think when he used the t- term power, I surmise that he meant it more generically than that. But, yeah, it it, it could be taken either way, I think. Hopefully, jo- uh, John Peterson will write in to rebut. <laughs>
3: um, I, I didn't take it that way when I listened to it either. Um, I... I I know exactly what you're talking about. I and, I and I have to agree with Tim on the on the point that in the early days of OODD, and I wasn't there at the very beginning, but I wasn't there far off. I mean, I don't recall a whole lot of what we would consider, say, power gaming going on. Um, you, you know, the, most people who played this stuff were war gamers. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was. Uh, I I think leveling up the whole concept of leveling up was in a lot of ways, a new concept. Um, so I, I'm not so sure that, that that's what John was talking Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I had a lot of power gamers around me, but then we were in middle school, so, you know. Well, that's, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, that's but all Mike, weren't you it.
0: introduced to D&D by a bunch of old war gamers just like I was?
1: Um, Not introduced, per se. My dad got me the set. But, yeah, they basically, I, when I went to the war game, uh clubs they basically quote unquote showed me how to play properly end quote <laughs> so yeah i mean they did they certainly didn't power game um that was more like a shark tank but anyway <laughs> i've talked about that before um i also think he's absolutely right about the customer base wanting more stuff i mean let's not forget that originally judges guild got the uh, Got the permission to do D and D adventures because TSR didn't think there was a market for it. You know, who's gonna want to buy a pre-made adventure? Everybody writes their own.
3: And there was a huge market, right? People did want more stuff. I mean, look at We yeah. Warriors throughout. You know, uh, Palace of the Vampire Queen, Dwarven Glory, Misty Isles. Uh, they went through. You know, I I, I should remember off the top of my head, but five, six, seven, eight printings of a couple of those. Vampire Queen went through, with, with six or seven. Um, and I know guilds, Dwarven Glory went through three or four, and that, and that was when TSR was.
1: State of the Overlord. Yes. I mean, yeah. you know,
3: there was a demand. I, I think there was a huge demand just because there wasn't anything out there. It was so new to people, and mm-hmm. you know, with a when you have just a raw game system. I, I know when I buy a new game, I always like to buy, if it's available, other things that go with it, just so I can get a better feel of how the game works.
0: Mm-hmm. I can remember being that age, and at that age, as a teenager, I couldn't get enough crunch. I'm, it's anathema to me now at yeah. this right. state. but right. when it was that age, man, the more crunch, the better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I was playing SPI monster war games, so, you know, you don't want to talk about crunch. Yeah, that whole
3: chart thing, I, I, I do get it. I mean, that's how I started gaming was, was SPI and Avalon Hill war games, and you had more charts you could throw a stick at, and you always wanted more. So we set up
1: Fortress Europa on Friday yeah. and played it Saturday and Sunday and then quit because the game still wasn't over.
0: I think we've missed yeah. the most important part of Tim's letter. Tim Ooh. listens to Save or Die.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true, which is really funny because you made that you remember you made that Darlene comment a few episodes ago and.
3: Well, if anyone ever gets a chance just to sit and talk with Tim, it's, 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 I know we, we joke a little bit about it, but it is a wonderful experience. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough, you know, over a long period of time, I've known Tim a long time and, um, I get, I only get to see him at conventions, but I tell you what, we always get to sit down for a few minutes and just chit chat. And, uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience. And even if you're not talking about gaming, I mean, just, uh, um, I mean, that's the thing, obviously most people are going to gravitate to, but, uh. He'll tie it back into that. And uh, it's great to hear the stories from way back in the day from someone who remembers the stuff a lot more keenly than I did when I was 12 years old.
1: Yeah. Maybe we ought to have him back on the show sometime. I think that would be a great idea.
2: Yeah. That would be cool.
1: Okay. Well, um, I think we pretty much answered that as best we can at this point. So, next email.
2: All right. Well, our next email is from. Dr. Dennis Astaire.
0: Uh-oh, here it comes. Wow. You guys are hitting a jackpot over
2: uh... <laughs> I know. What we, what <laughs> this are we... is like the best email we've had. <laughs>
0: we get yelled at again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, Dennis is very brief. He says, you know, a very interesting discussion of the history and philosophy of saving throws. And thanks for the nice comments about bunnies and burrows. Dr. Dennis Astaire.
1: Aww. Well, Cool.
2: <laughs> we didn't, get, we, we didn't nice get yelled at at all. They were totally true. They <laughs> were all totally true.
1: <laughs> Maybe we need to do another save for half and talk, and have him on to talk about Bunnies and Burrows.
2: I'm I'm hoping he does go ahead and run another Bunnies and Burrows game at next year's
3: North Texas. Maybe
1: this time I can get in on it. It was it Good was Lord. awesome. Yeah, I know. It fills up like that.
3: Yeah, oh, I well. was fortunate enough to play uh he ran a D&D event at the first, very first North Texas convention, and I was lucky enough to play at it, and we were playing in this little closet of a room. I tell you, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was just so much fun. He's, he's, uh, he's a class act all the way.
1: Yeah, I remember playing in a and d game of his called Tourist Trap, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, but he's think-
3: going to make sure you have fun.
0: I learned two things at that game, that Bunnies and Burrows game he ran for. That Liz and I got to participate in. One, he's a great GM, and two, if Jeff D's in your party, he's going to be the leader. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and Doctor Stars and Doctor gave Liz's character fleas. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right. Next email.
2: All right. And our our last email is from Kevin Long. Kevin. And Kevin writes, hi, Liz, and guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In proper order.
2: (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha (laughs) ha. Jim, I really like your idea to try and have a fight every hour. My question is, do you write your adventures to try and fit that? Or do you have an empty room and think, oh, it's almost been an hour or a little over. Here's a monster in this room. (laughs) Also, Jim... Was wondering if it was Goodman Games that did the reprints of all the Grimtooth traps, right? I went to the website to buy one, but could not find it. If it is out yet, can you point me down the right path? Thanks, Kevin.
0: Finally, an email on the topic I'm an expert at. You guys are usually oh, always just, You guys are usually the smart ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, okay, so... Uh, we we talked an episode. I just said my personal jamming style is like a judging style. I think I'm doing good if there's a fight, one combat an hour. And no, I do not write adventures that way. Uh, it's more a uh, uh, you know judge finesse situation, and not like you described where there's an empty room. Okay, let's put something in it. But just if the players start dithering, I, you know, I have the usual dm bag of tricks to you know wandering
1: monsters get and...
0: them to stop art you know the, the the thing that's in the next room might wander you know down the hall or something see what all the racket's about while they're arguing about how to divide the loot or something
1: <laughs> you, you mean all the monsters don't stay perfectly still in each room waiting for the adventurers to open a door
0: uh I try, well no of course not
1: oh, no. <laughs> yeah, i'm playing
0: the
2: monsters you've, the you've been mo- doing it wrong mike
0: oh all
1: these years oh <laughs> Man, the, uh, I thought it was like a hotel.
0: <laughs> the uh, second half of the email, I went back to check to be sure, and that email came in September 13th. So since Kevin has written uh, this email to us, uh, there's a brand new redesigned Goodman Games website that I hope uh, you found now, Kevin. Uh, it's very easy to navigate, and you just go to the online store and either hit, put Grimtooth in the search box or just go to product categories and select Grimtooth traps, and there's everything that Goodman sells uh Grimtooth. All uh, versions of that Grimtooth's Trap Collector's editions available, and there are two DCC adventures written by Joe Bittman, Steve Crompton, and Ken St. Andre uh, with Grimtooth in them. So there's lots of stuff Ooh. to get and it's easy to get now. Sorry well, the old website did, sucked.
1: Obviously <laughs> designed by a superior programmer. Uh, we have the one. new
0: site. Or a desperate one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. Alright, well... Thanks for the emails, and if uh, anyone was going to write in additional emails, where would they write them, Liz?
2: Saverdiepodcast at gmail dot com,
1: or our voicemail at nine four zero five three six thirty seven sixty three, and DM Cojo. We've got your audio audio messages, but we didn't have time to do them today. We'll do them next time, guaranteed. Guaranteed. All right. Well, barring any Announcements from anybody. I'd just like to make a quick uh, plug for the Grognard Files, episode six, parts one, two, and three. Uh, the guys in from Bolton, England, did a very good review on Dungeons and Dragons. It's labeled as AD&D, and each episode is over one of the books, but they do a lot of classic D&D talking too. Can't stress it enough, so anybody has a chance, go over, download those episodes. You'll be glad you did. Now, to announcements and commercials, and when we come back, we'll go right into Game On. Dungeons & Dragons will return after these messages.
3: Oh, interesting Clams North. It seems you've come to the Caves of Doom, and you're out of protection
1: spells. like Grimstaff, what little you know of my ways... I have powers you can't even comprehend. <laughs> the princess will be mine. Yes. <laughs> the confidence to live your life—that's the power of Fallon Community Health Plan. That's not a legitimate power,
3: Kyle. Yes, it is, Howard. Oh.
2: Welcome to Glowburn,
0: a podcast dedicated to the mute, crawl classic scroll, game.
1: Podcast.
0: And civilization is cast in ruin. And civilization is cast in ruin.
2: And now, back to Dungeons and Dragons.
0: What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on.
1: Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on. Hop on Game on. Say it Game on. the crowd. No one to please. Game on. Here we are as stated earlier with the head setter of paces himself, Bill Barsh. Hello all again. <laughs> and we shall start off the discussion with Your gaming history, how did you get going in the wonderful world of RPGs?
3: Uh, Like most people, I was brought in by somebody else. Um, I started gaming when I was 12. I was in 8th grade, middle school, and a good friend of mine had uh, a couple of board games, actually. We started out playing uh, Avalon Hill games and SPI games. It was... uh, um, a local hobby shop. They only carried a few things, so you kind of played what was there. And then this game called Dungeons and Dragons showed up one day, um, the home set, and uh, yep, and that's uh, that's where I got my start. And that was back way back in nineteen seventy six, seventy seven, when I first started playing. So yep, it's been a while. <laughs> that's
0: earlier than all three of us.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not the spring chicken. I was once. Yeah. <laughs> Which of us are? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but okay. Well, what does made you decide to get into becoming a creator of role playing
3: supplements and? Um, such? sure. It's uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I actually did, uh, I did freelance work way back in the day, my twenties and that kind of thing. I did some work for Task Force Games, actually quite a bit for them. Oh. Um, and uh, a, f- a few other things, small stuff, uh, uh, adventures club article, um, hero games, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then I was, uh, you know, a lot younger than I went in the army, did the whole college thing, got away from writing and all that, uh, got back, got a family, yada, 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 like most guys, uh, got back into business. And um, in the meantime, I also did uh, work a lot with uh, the Metro Detroit Gamers, which is uh, it still exists here in, in Detroit now, but it's 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 a it's a different beast. Um, back Back in the day, they ran two conventions a year: uh, WinterCon and Michigan. Now, uh, in the '70s and '80s, these were these are relatively large conventions back then. Uh, TSR was a major partner; uh, they brought all their stuff to these conventions. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, for the collectors out there, know that Ghost Tower of Inverness, uh, among others, were first run at WinterCon and Michicon uh, game conventions. Fazzlewood um didn't they run a couple of origins uh yes we did run some origins so yeah. um i was actually convention manager uh at origins when we had at the renaissance center in downtown detroit uh, um, that was a long a long time ago <laughs> so we actually had a uh a monthly magazine or digest if you want to call it that went out to a lot of people actually back then uh, a couple of thousand i think at, our, at the peak so i was the editor of that so um we wrote stuff for that. We had people submit stuff. I mean, it was a fanzine for the most part. Uh, but it might mainly concerned with what the goings in and on of, of, of MDG back then. Although, there was it, going back and looking through some of those, there was just a ton of stuff in there. I mean, we actually had license from TSR to write TSR adventures in those. Um, that's how close that relationship was. Um, wow. Yeah, it'd be funny to see if it could actually push that envelope today because I don't think it was really technically never canceled. Um <laughs> Uh, I don't think I want to get into that fight, but um, so I've been in and around it for a long time. Um, and and to start my own game company and, and start producing modules was just an extension of one, the technology made it certainly a lot easier to do that than back in the day, uh, you know, I, the advent of the internet where you could actually market this stuff without trying to go through a distributor and all that. Um, and, you know, the whole OSR industry has exploded over that uh, ability. Um so we started up in I started, I, think I started the company technically in two thousand eight. Um but we didn't put out our first module until two thousand nine. So uh,
2: how did you how did you get to become pace setter games?
3: Um another really good question and uh I decided to call it Setter games. I, I again I, I I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of people uh, in my gaming life. I attended a lot of conventions and then obviously my experience with MDG. I was a big fan of the old Paysetter, uh, the original company. Um, uh, Mark Akers, Steve Sullivan. I mean, these guys were great people. Um, And they they originally created their Paysetter because they basically split from TSR. They just didn't like the way the, the direction TSR was going. They created Paysetter, created their games. These guys were all TSR people back in the day. And, uh, but they just, their vision of, of what a game company should be, I think was different than what TSR was becoming. And we all know that story. Um, yeah. and, that was uh, what,
1: 86, 87. Yes.
3: Yep. Mid eighties. Yeah. Um, so, so basically
0: those guys didn't want to publish a uh, gazetteer a month.
3: <laughs> no, 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 and you know what? They, and and to give them credit, they they I, I know that the, the idea was tossed around of doing a uh, basically we call them, you know, a retro call now, but a, you know, a version of AD and D uh, uh, through PaySitter, but they never that that never material, obviously never materialized. I mean, Chill was just a, such a smash hit. Yeah, um, Chill was great. Know, it was a great game, and uh, you know, it gave them the ability to create some other games. You know, uh, Time Master, solid game. Star Race, you know, uh, delving into the sci-fi realm, um, uh, a couple of board games. Um, Sandman, Crypt World. Sandman's absolutely, you know, the product that needed to be completed more than any other in the history of gaming. I mean, it's just a it, – if you ever get a chance to pick up a copy of Sandman, just pick it up and read it. You'll you'll never regret it. Um, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I decided just when I – and Paster was long gone by the time I decided to, to start publishing – but um, so I toyed around, you know, what, what am I going to call myself? I said, you know what, Paysetter's gone. I'm going to call myself Paysetter Games and Simulations. We're, we're not going to do really any of their products. And uh, I made sure when I announced the company and we started doing things, uh, people can go, you know, what's this term we love now, fact check, right? Uh, I announced on numerous boards. I had nothing to do with the original Paysetter. Um, I, I didn't want to say anyone, you know, I didn't want to use that. We, changed, we had a completely different logo. And I was very clear that it was more of a uh, – uh, homage to that game company and how they did things, and that's how I wanted to do things. Um, so that's where the name came from. Uh, and <laughs> bizarrely enough, you know, Goblinoid Games wound up uh, some. You know, I had no idea the licenses even available. And then about two or three years after I formed, or more, even more than that, uh, Goblinoid bought the Paysetter brand, and I think they bought Time Master. They might have Sandman. I can't recall right now. So they're actually publishing old Paysetter stuff, which is actually very cool. Hmm. Uh, but of course there is a little bit of confusion out there but I think most people in the know know.
0: So, uh, the very first product was for what system?
3: very first product was a, and the reason you probably got me here was a BX product. It was a Moldvay expert set module, the thing in the valley. Um, To this day, uh, our highest, uh, our most produced module. Uh, We were not a PDF company. It was, it's all, everything we do is in print. We're not on demand, and uh, to this day, that thing still has tremendous, has a great shelf life, I'll put it that way. Um, but that yeah, was the like first product. Did
1: in- I like what you did with Encounters in that module, the various... Terrain yeah. locations were, were pretty... And that
3: was another thing about Paysetter. You know, the name kind of ties. We, we, I really do try to do innovative things to some degree where it's even possible. We do like to do things a little bit differently. You know, we, we pattern our modules, obviously, after the old school modules that, that we all know and love that TSR produced. And we do the same thing. But I always, I, you know, I try to do something just a little bit different and try to do at least some kind of innovation. I mean, it's been 30 years since TSR basically published most of the stuff that we we love. Um so, you know, there has been time to, to change things around. And uh, by doing like just freestanding encounters that you can kind of slip in the adventure as you go along, you know, with something I may not be the newest thing in the world. But, you know, um, it was something we just like I said, in, in all our modules we try to do something just a little bit different. Um, yet keep that classic feel. Um, our first three modules are all BX adventures and they weren't. And by BX, I mean, we use the, the Moldvay rules to design these modules, pure and simple. Um, they've they have transitioned the, to A D D now. Uh, everything we do is A D D, but um, our first product was a classic module and it's uh, and I'd we still use the, that logo everywhere. Yep. It was Thing in the
1: Valley, the screen, in the valley.
3: Temple, and, and one other Eruptor's
1: Vengeance. Eruptors Vengeance, that's it. Yeah. Yep. I've got all yep. three. That is awesome. <laughs> If I was still running a fantasy game right now, I'd probably be using one of them right now. But
3: well, and that's that's why we do what we do. We do it to, for people to play them. I mean, pure and simple. That's that, that's why I do what I do. I I love doing it, but I you know, I don't want them sitting on a shelf anywhere or or that kind of thing. And 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 that's fine that they do, but you know, we we do this stuff for people to play them, and that's that's where. Our,
1: yeah, and Thing in the Valley our, I think is set in Karamiko, So no it, it's not. It is set in it, yeah.
3: Yep. Yes, it is. Cool. Uh, and there's references right in there uh, exactly where it is. You can find it uh, on the map, you put your expert set and match things right up. Yep.
0: this cool. is what I love best about the whole old school Renaissance to begin with, because one way to look at it that people commonly take is. You know, they want to uh, fight about what's best. Should the you know this module was for BX, and I want to play AD&D. Why didn't you make it for AD&D? Or they want to argue which OSR company does the best products. And I I see it differently as an embarrassment of taco for. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention Dungeon Crawl Classics. Not then, anyway. <laughs> well, no, I'm just it's
1: when you were talking about AD&D. I was at taco Oh, 4. oh,
0: okay. Anyway, um. I was going to say – what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. that It's an embarrassment of riches because there's every flavor and approach somewhere in the old school for all this stuff. Like you were just describing your particular approach at Pace Center. Yes.
3: It, and that's what I love about the whole – It's life. a rainbow I mean,
0: you know, of options. You can go get it, whatever it, you it, want. It,
3: you know, as, as much as, as I, I love doing everything Pace just, I'm, a, I'm an old school fanboy. I mean I, I buy stuff from everybody. I just enjoy it. Um, You know, uh, and and it is is a wealth of riches, like you say. There is so much different stuff out there from different people. It's fantastic to see.
0: Your uh, old-school bona fides were established, as far as I'm personally concerned, when I first saw the Red Queen adventure at North Texas Con, in which the characters go through uh, a four-part adventure. It's really four mini-adventures crammed into one big, long adventure, and they go through AD&D, let me get it in the right order, Boot Hill, then Top Secret, and then Gamma World. Yes. All in one adventure. In that order. Yep. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing more old school than genre mashing.
3: Oh, yeah. No, not at all. And uh, I tell you what, that's just fun for me to do. Products should be fun to design and produce. If it's not, you know, you're just producing, and that's not, again, what we necessarily do at at, at Paysetter. We're, We're here to design stuff people are going to use and have fun with. And if we're, if we're not, then, you know, we missed. We missed the mark, and we missed the mark, obviously, some time to time. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. But that's – uh, I love hearing that, Jim, because uh, that Red Queen thing was just just a blast to put together. It's just absolutely – it the, was so much fun.
0: The conceit was so wonderful, I'm not even going to hold it against you, that you used the Papyrus font in the module.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I do wish, though – I mean – it was a couple of years ago, but it was run at North Texas. And I think there were four concurrent um, tables set up. And as you went from one section to the next, you would leave one table and you'd go to the next table and plop down into the into the new genre game. And at well, the this- time, nobody knew what was going to happen.
3: Yeah, just it was all it was secret, going to wasn't be very- it?
2: yeah it was all secret and when you were signing up you didn't know what was going to go on and after it was over it's like oh i wish i'd signed up
3: (laughs) we still get a lot of feedback i mean that went in the print a long time ago and we and and we still get people that stumble across it and are like this is so cool there's a top secret adventure out there i'm like you know what absolutely i mean if we're doing this for fun and uh and uh, you can play it on its own, or you can play them all four together. I mean, obviously, I think it's, it's more fun if you play them all four in a row. And it's more fun if you play them all using their individual systems. But if you don't have it, there's actually an AD&D conversion and a new one. So you can run all of them using AD&D if, you, if, you, mm-hmm. if, if you're stuck that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but if not, nope, you can pull out your first edition in World and, and have at it in the last one.
1: Well, speaking of
3: modules, um, what uh, modules
1: would – quote-unquote classic modules would you say – have inspired your view of gaming and creation of modules.
3: Sure, um, I, and I'm going to skip right over the two biggies that everybody, you know, when you talk classic modules, the first two modules that come up in everybody's uh, uh, mind are going to be B1 and Search for the Unknown, and then B2 Keep on the Borderline. Keep on the Borderline. Mean, they're, they're, they're formative for everybody. I mean, In uh, Search for the Unknown was the first first module I ever saw in my life. Um, mm-hmm. So you know those two are obviously very formative, and I think for most people doing this thing, um, you know, with with keeping the Borderlands, I mean, Gary set a set a bar um, on a module that you know is is a little scattered. It, you know, it's 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 a monster hotel, but you know what, it's it's uh, it's a legacy. You know, can't be denied. Um, but as far as you know, moving past that, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick. A classic here I'm, I'm not going to talk about ad;D stuff at all so it, it, purely from a classic standpoint I mean uh, as far as what I think are just absolutely fantastic modules and, and and inspirational to me were x4 master of the desert nomads is doesn't get a lot of talk but that is just a fantastic module I mean it's got a little bit of everything in it mm-hmm. um, and uh, it I think Dave Dave Cook is just one of my favorite D&D authors um, mm-hmm. I, I think he does fantastic stuff. I mean, it's mostly high adventure stuff, and that's where I gear most of. That's that's kind of my sweet spot, anyway. Um, is more of the high adventure uh, sort of module, um, you know, not overly story driven, but uh, you know, you're gonna uh, the the characters, the players, they're gonna be challenged from from the word go and all the way through. So X four, uh, I, I think, is a fantastic module. Um, I mean, off the beaten track. Uh, B solo, Uh, Ghost of Lion Castle is just a, it's a kind of a neat little adventure. Um,
1: I forget, was that the one with the little red screen that you ran over it? Or was it, no, you don't, you actually
3: don't need, no, that's one of the solo ones. You actually do not need the red thing that disappeared from everybody's modules five minutes after they bought it. No, that one is more along the lines of the old Tunnels and Trolls sort of methodology. Programmed, you kind of have to take through. Yeah, it's more of a paragraph okay. format. You don't need it. Uh, and if you find one, it's kind of kind of cool. The, that module's actually got um, in the, a large margin on on each page for you to take notes as you go through, so you can kind of go backtrack through the module and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, TSR did, I don't know how many solo modules, six, seven solo modules, maybe all together. Every single one of them uses a completely different format. Um, and that was probably one of the best ones. Um, but it's a kind of a neat module. It's got a neat little storyline to it. There's some cool little one-shot uh, encounters in there. Um, uh, you know, X-series for me, uh, some of the B-series, you know, I mean, are, are, are very cool. I mean, Night Dark Terror, Terror is just a fantastic module for any version of D&D. Um, but I would say, you know, X4 is is real high on my list, and X5, this, this the, the sequel module to it, is also very good. Kingdom on the moon. Yep, Yeah. Those those are the ones. Yep. <laughs> yes, you can go to the moon. Yes,
1: <laughs> a little side thing. <laughs> yeah, here's the entire kingdom potentially you can run into.
3: Yeah. yep.
1: I would
0: I would say that at least at that age I didn't I wasn't as well read as I am now. And what you're calling high fantasy, uh, unbeknownst to me, was adventures that tied into appendix in literature more strongly yes. than later.
3: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, there's no doubt. And again, I, I, I'm in the same boat. With you when I was when I was reading and playing those way back then, I didn't I didn't make that connection necessarily at all. Uh, I did probably didn't even know what it was if someone would have said it to me. But you know, looking back at it today, they're they're just the more high fantasy modules. Are I'm a bigger fan of the of the heavy story driven module. Um, and there's again, there's nothing wrong with either one. I just have a preference, and you're going to see that in our products generally too. You're going to see more straight straight high fantasy adventure kind of stuff.
1: You mentioned your products, uh you were going pretty much A D and D now. Um yes. how difficult or you know how much conversion problems do you think there would be for classic fans? Because you know it's totally different games,
3: right? Yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> unrecognizable, right? I yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot. I mean our stat blocks are 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 straight AD and D, but you know that, that again, you know, it's it, it's not real difficult to convert that stuff I think over to BX. Um, most of our products, we do stick with uh, the big three books: Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, uh, DMG. We don't drift too much into Fiend Folio or Monster Manual Two. Um, so most of the monsters, again, are, are you've got compatible versions in BX. Uh, we do lots of new monsters. Um, everything we produce has got one to five new monsters in it. Typically, two or three or four, and then usually half a dozen to a dozen new magic items. Again. Uh, easily convertible to BX. Um, Descending armor gonna, class, so
0: it's already done. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So. Um,
1: and you also give the Thaco number.
3: We do put the, yeah, yeah, a little bit of, so. of second edition creep in there. We put it that in again. <laughs> you know, the the whole idea of, of a module should be, you know, you know, someone once said, you know, a D-module DM should, should make the, the, the DM's life easier. And that has to happen. I mean, you Nobody wants to pick up a module and have to spend hours and hours and hours working it out just to get be able to run the thing. So we try to include as much information in it as we can. I don't uh, want to make it easier for the DM to run. Uh, and you'll see that even with our, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the RCs, the thing in the valley, eruptors, Vengeance. Or uh, there's, there's, we call them Q modules. No, they're Q modules. I think there's, there's five of them all together. Those have actually actually got charts in them, like the old BX modules do with each monsters. Uh, to hit number, hit points, armor class. It's in the text, but it's also on a page all the way in the back screen. Uh, it's like a chart, so you can just look up the monster and find out what a saving throw is. It's, uh, we try to make things easier for the DM in, in, in that regard. Well, so, in defense
0: we, of Thaco in terms of classic D&D, my first character sheet was a classic D&D character sheet, the ones that had the little Tom Wom yeah. art on the front. Yeah. And there was a matricy on my original D&D sh- sheet of where I could fill in everything, every armor class what I needed to hit, including zero.
3: And like why old, would you not do that? Yep. Rods. We, yep, we actually use that a, a virtual version of that character sheet. We do a lot of tournaments and that kind of thing, and and provide pre-generated characters conventions. We do a lot of this kind of thing. That character sheet is the basis of the character sheets that we use, still use today for Paysetter. I mean, we we pull it off, or all the all the numbers are on that character sheet. I mean, the, so, the, so the my, point, they, my point my point is it wasn't
0: it wasn't called Teco, but there it was right it on.
3: Wasn't the wasn't Yeah, yep, there it is. So, um again you know the whole idea is trying to make things easier on everybody so and it, it, i know when i'm running something it's a heck of a lot easier for me to just see it right there in front of me and have to go pull a book out and try to look something up or constantly be looking at the dm screen that kind of thing so that's what we do and um as far so far as converting uh our and stuff to classic it, it really should not be too difficult you'll get a vibe for a lot of anyway. you'll see uh my my roots were were in Moldvay, and you're going to see that come through a lot of the modules anyway. You know, we do some other ones. We've got a couple of Swords and Wizardry adventures out there that we've done. Um, and for you OD&D fans, I mean, we do have the rights to the We Warriors products, and because um, Pete Caristan is just an awesome individual, um, so we have reprinted Palace of the Vampire Queen, Dwarven Glory, Misty Isles, and the original reprints of those, or the, our original printings of those, had all the original OD&D. Well, all the original content for the modules, plus we did an ADD conversion in there with it, so you have both.
1: Um, Yeah, I got the Palace of the Vampire Queen when you offered it at that con. It's it's I was surprised at. Because you're always told, you know, back in the day, oh, it was just a monster hotel. There was no rhyme or reason, and there was actually a story behind the.
3: There house. is a, there was a story behind them. It's they're still monster hotels, believe me. Well, uh, yeah. For anyone but who there's... hasn't picked up, yeah, you know, one room you walk, <laughs> you know, one room you're fighting a goblin, and the next room there's a type five demon standing there. So, um, <laughs> but yes. you know, yes. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, there just there is a beauty to those adventures. Now, obviously, when we did our our AD&D conversions, you know, and, and we're actually uh, taking those modules and we're 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 honestly we're just blowing them up or are the, the Vampire Queen is five levels in it. Uh, and oddly enough, Palace of the Vampire Queen has no actual palace in the original. So we did a a, 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 a prequel, if you want, that has the actual above ground palace as you before you descend down into the dungeon levels. And uh, we just expand them
0: um so you put a palace in the palace of the vampire queen we actually put a palace in the palace
3: yeah i mean there's a th- i get it there's a throne room down all the way at the bottom but there's no real palace so we've, this is we've my this is my palace. running
0: theory why there are baby dragons in the home's basic set because at some point uh john eric holmes realized the game was called Dungeons of dragons and they had to
3: be a dragon in it there's gotta be <laughs> right and i you know what it it Enough people have probably bought and played my stuff that you shouldn't be shocked for a first level character to, to come across a hill giant or a, or or a dragon. It just is what it is.
1: Yeah.
3: You know that's that's what running's for.
1: Well, what uh, can we expect in the future from Pace Setter?
3: Um, we are busier than we should be, um, as usual, and yeah. which gets us into trouble. But you know what? It's <laughs> uh, it all works out in the end. But
1: uh, those are good problems.
3: It's a you know what we try to try to you know what it's fun so uh, we're coming out we played uh, at North Texas this year we ran the tournament was a it was called Dread uh, and uh, it shouldn't be too difficult to make the link where that name came from and we are doing a four part adventure series based on the old Isle of Dread Ooh. and uh, the and first featuring uh, Judge Dread yeah. Of <laughs> um, some people called me that when I was running the tournament, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think we had two TPKs, and the one group had two people live. I think the winning group. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's just the way it. It's the way it goes. It's a convention, you know. If you're not dying, you're not having fun. But we just we <laughs> we don't kill you until you're three or four hours in, so you get your money's worth, right? <laughs> um, so that uh, dread the first. My first full module will be out. Actually, we're going to release that game hole upcoming here in what three weeks, two weeks, two and a half yeah. weeks, weeks. So uh, that first one will be out, and that uh, uh, it's it's tied to BX. It is a D and D book, but uh, um, as far as that goes, um, that's our our closest thing to classic D and D. Although we, I might as well kind of announce it now. There's there's been a uh, as, as we all know, virtually every version of D&D has been retro-cloned, right? I mean, virtually mm-hmm. every box set, Holmes, Mulvey, uh, S- Menser. Some more something. than once. Some more than once. And uh, we're actually do- going to do one that has not been done yet. So I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, but one of the one of the D&D box sets has never been retro-cloned, and we are doing it with a complete group of modules and some other interesting things that are going to go in it. And you can look for that next year sometime. And the color of the box is actually black. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that will be right up uh, classic D&D. That will not be an AD&D version. That will be a classic D&D retro clone for that, that box set. Just that because that Just because it hasn't been done, Folks, you heard it here first. We did hear it here first, and and as <laughs> some of your listeners may or may not know, we actually acquired Center Stage Miniatures uh, this past year. Which uh, ah, no, whole, yeah, it's a whole other thing that, that can get discussed. Um, I mean, we will
0: obviously put your website address in the uh, sure. show notes for this game, but that that would be the first thing I'd buy because. Some of those center stage minis that you guys have put back into production, like the the yeah. giant uh, Yenigoo and the Orcas, are fabulous yeah. miniatures. That need, uh, they need, are, to, need to be in production.
3: They need to be, and that's one of the reasons we we acquired the company because it just Center Stage developed and produced some of the most fantastic OSR figures I think that have ever been done. Um, absolutely gorgeous, especially like you're saying that their classic fantasy line. Um, uh, yeah, I think we got
1: a are, a figure.
3: Oh yeah. Yep, the yeah. The Demons and Devils range. And, and oh, oh, one of the we were... I actually did a, did acquire is because I, the, I mean, I don't want to get too far into this on in the show, but the, uh, center stage had a bunch of Kickstarters. They went belly up. The Kickstarter backers all got left holding the bag. Um, and, uh, they had three of them basically Demons and Devils. Most of those actually were sent out. So we didn't have to deal with, deal with a lot with that. Uh, and then they had Tomo Horrors one, Tomo Horrors two. And, uh, so what we wound up doing after we acquired the company is we put everything into production and we gave all those backers the exclusive ability to. And now this is going to sound bad, but basically to purchase these miniatures at a, at a significant, either at or below cost, to at least kind of give them some value for backing the Kickstarters originally because most of them never got anything, uh, which was that, unfortunate. That sounds um, pretty
0: heroic to me.
3: Well, I, I'm not going to say that. We also gave a lot of free miniatures away. I mean, you know, it was for me... Jim, this was the right thing to do. Uh, the the owner of Center Stage was a friend of mine for a long time. I wish I would have known he was in trouble before I, I, I knew it, he was in trouble because by then it was way too late. Um, I did some work a, for Matt,
0: and Matt was a good guy.
3: Matt's a good guy, and Matt made some bad mistakes, and it's that simple. For everybody out there thinks it was anything else. It, it was not. This was, simple. this was a simple case of a guy who loved miniatures and um, just made some very, very bad business decisions and not necessarily intentionally. Um, but it is what it is, and we're here today with it, and we have acquired Center Stage. And over the next few months, we're going to start uh, putting that company back together again under the Paysetter banner. And, I mean, you can get the miniatures now at our website, and we'll go ahead and, and let that out of the bag. Um, some of them new not campus, we just don't have all of them in production and in stock yet. And we're working through that because, believe it or not, after – uh, two or three years of, of Center Stage going through the bankruptcy process, it did. Uh, things weren't exactly um, tidy.
0: Would you like mm-hmm. some free marketing advice?
3: Yes, I will we, always take advice.
0: We were talking off-air about our fondness for the Netflix series Stranger Things. I would make a lot of those Demogorgons if I were you.
3: And it's funny you should say that. We're actually sold out of them, and we do have to order them for more because we call them the Lashing prints. Uh for obvious reasons but yes that figure is a we get a lot of emails on that figure looking for and uh and 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 obviously that show did a lot for that although i mean who can deny that oh royal parthro demogorgon i think it's just awesome (laughs) um but uh the the our our demogorgon or quote-unquote lashing prints just to be careful um it's a gorgeous figure, and he's huge. He's like five and a half inches tall. I mean, he's just, it's just—it's just—it's a gorgeous figure, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a credit to what to Matt Solarz was center stage. Now nah, it had nothing to do with me.
0: Well, we're um, he, we're he all bigger big as figures. players than we were in the '80s, so it's only fair that the minis scale up.
3: Well, it was funny. I think. Uh, it, it, I think it was just you guys talking about 25 millimeters versus 28 millimeter, and, and, you know, yeah. size, 32. that kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> and and everybody gets that, you know, and, oh, that reminds me of something else I, I know you guys might be interested in. But um, all of our stuff's done in 28 millimeter. but you're right, we're all getting older. I mean, I need reading glasses all the time now, so you know what? Miniatures got bigger. It just is what it is. Um, that was
1: Liz's theory.
3: Yeah, and I I, I, I agree I mean, with it wholeheartedly. I, I mean, I, I pull out a 25 millimeter figure and put it against a 28, and I, I it makes a difference to me.
2: It's like, i got reading glasses in almost every room of the house.
3: Yes. I carry a set in my
2: purse. I have a set at work at my desk.
3: You know, yeah, like, keep a set in the car. You, you're oh. preaching to the choir on that one. But I... Before reading, reading glasses wouldn't memory.
0: cut it if i had to paint a 25 millimeter today i would need the mole man jeweler's goggles <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah and and to be perfectly honest i'm not i'm not a painter at all i i mean i'm not very good at that kind of thing so all this stuff again this is going to be part of the center stage uh, slash paysetter setter now uh miniatures company is we've got a lot of work to do with getting these figures out to people get them painted and get some copies into us and all that kind of stuff so anybody out there's interested in painting miniatures let us know. Um, but I know you, you guys brought up the the 25-millimeter and miniatures and the Guthrie line came up. We get, I can tell you right now, and, and hopefully this catch a lot of your listeners, um, we get a lot of questions because Center Stage Miniatures owned the Guthrie line prior to the bankruptcy. Um, oh. It's since gone to somebody else, but that somebody else will probably most likely, I've already been in talks with them. There'll be news coming from us regarding the Guthrie line in the future, and it won't okay. be too far off. It's going to be a little while, Ooh. but uh, they I'll, are out there. I they are out. Yeah, they are out there. They will be available and um, coming to a you know coming to an internet site near you soon. Okay, so well, give us some time after the first of the year. We got a few other fish to fry first.
1: Well, and that should time out around the <clears throat> black box that you've been talking about. Maybe we can have yes. you back on the show to
3: talk about it. Well that would be absolutely fantastic. Okay. No matter what, I I'm a fan of the old stuff period. You know, I love cool. talking about stuff, but I'll talk to you about the old stuff all day long.
1: Well thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it.
3: I appreciate you having me.
1: And once again we look off toward the distance of the dusty Bill Bixby Road. Heading off to another adventure. 129 probably in the future. And how are we heading down the road this time, Jim?
0: Me and my band of murder hobos are heading down the road like we're on DC Legend of Tomorrow because we took out the Red Queen and stole her time spaceship.
1: <laughs> Woohoo. We we are time travel flying down the road. I like time it. travel hobos. And how are you heading down the road, Liz?
2: Well, me and my band of trusty adventurers have been hired by the keep on the borderlands to guard these very trustworthy looking dwarves as they go and mine some blocks from a quarry to fix a hole in the keep wall. So we're yeah. doing that and nothing can go wrong.
1: Sure, there's a lot of snow, isn't there, in and down that way? Or?
2: <laughs> well, winter's a bit early this year, but I don't think it's anything really. Yeah,
1: unusual.
3: what could the problem be? <laughs> and how about you, Bill? Well, I must be riding my Schwinn swing Stingray down the road with my backpack full of goodies, looking back, and I think that's Team Bogorgon I see in the shadows. So <laughs> I'm going to pedal a little bit faster.
1: Pedal faster! Whereas I'm heading down the road with my trusty adventurers, because the town just down there has reported that a weird temple has appeared out of nowhere, and that screaming sounds can be heard from the temple. I'm sure that's not a problem either.
0: Did you just talk? <laughs> did you just taco? Because that's the paysetter DCC adventure.
1: It is the DCC <laughs> adventure, but it, but it was a, a classic RC two. It first. was first. So
0: <laughs> I'm calling taco.
1: So Nina, <laughs> Nina. <laughs> and Top we'll hopefully get to where we're going and see you guys at 129. See ya. Bye bye. Goodbye, all Free arc. And we are out.
2: The Saved Eye Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saved Eye theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can
0: find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All D&D monsters discussed on tonight's show were fictional, and any resemblance to
1: non-OGL monsters is purely coincidental. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. Jim and I'm, I have tried to make it pretty clear that, okay, you know, be aware we're coming from the perspective of we're not huge fans of canned campaigns, pre-gen campaigns, yeah, especially right. really detailed.
0: I came up in do-it-yourself days because there wasn't any of that crap, so well, I'm well, I'm not well, the am ta- not exactly. the target audience, and I and I well, try and you know in a journalistic method acknowledge that each time we do one, you know, I'm not well, the target me, audience. But let me tell you something:
3: nobody liked these things because they couldn't give them away back <laughs> in the day. Okay. <laughs> um. So, you know, there's it, it, it a little bit of selective memory going on with those things. I love them, too. I mean, I think they're they're fantastic, but, you know, until you get back and you start reading them, you're like, wow, this thing really is a piece of crap. Production value is cool. Great idea. You know, they were selling those things out of uh, In the Shrink, brand new. They were selling them at Gen Con. Uh, TSR had, like, a clearance booth next to their giant castle back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, they only did this for a few years, but they had them in milk crates. I mean, <laughs> thousands. <of laughs> crates, oh
2: my gosh. Okay.
3: They're selling them for 5 bucks a piece. I, that's how I bought mine. I bought the entire set in the shrink brand new for 5 bucks a piece. <laughs>
2: And